Welcome to Gilmored, a podcast where two adult women who know way too much about Gilmore Girls talk about the show one episode at a time. My name's Lindsay. I'm Rachel. And this week we are talking about season one, episode five, Cinnamon's Wake. I will recap if that, that's good. That would unless be you great. Had so, unless you had something else to say. No, I'm excited. We have um, an episode called Cinnamon's Wake that has a very small part of it related to Cinnamon's Wake. We've got Lorelai, who met Mr. Medina. Max. Mr. Medina. Max. Mr. Medina meets Suki, the chef at the inn. Suki, Mr. Medina. What's the name again? Mr. Medina. I know, you've said it like a zillion times. At Chilton, when Rory had her breakdown about missing the test. Mm -hmm. And so they go to a bake sale, and she meets him again, and he says, hey, I like you, let's date. So she's dealing with Max and his interest in her. And simultaneously, Rory is dealing with Dean and his interest in her. And we will talk about the contrast between Max and Dean and how they go about being interested in these women. Well, and even their, <laughs> we'll talk about their, um, the women's like personalities and like how they, this shows the difference between like an adult woman and a teenager in the like right. dating cycle. Right. But my favorite thing that you said in your recap, you're like, they're dealing with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. So that's what that's what Lorelai and Rory are up to. Lorelai is up to deciding if she wants to date Max because obviously he is Rory's teacher and that could be awkward. Rory seems like she's kind of like, hey, this is the first time a guy's liked me and I don't know how to handle it and what do I do? Um, but she's also interested. So they both are interested in their respective guys. It's just a matter of like how to navigate that. And then... As the title suggests, Cinnamon, the beloved cat of Maury and Babette, dies. And so there is a wake for, for little Cinnamon. Mm -hmm. And we get to see kind of the town come around Babette and Maury. And it all kind of comes to a head kind of at that wake, really. It mm -hmm. all, kind of, all the storylines kind of come together. And then we have Rory finding out that Lorelai has been chatting it up with Max and what that might mean for both mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. Um, so that is the general overarching field. Do you have anything else you want to add? Pour one out for cinnamon. Pour one out for cinnamon. So let's jump right into our nonsense. Yeah, okay. So I want to start just with the cold open of this episode because Emily is oh, yes. fire. Yep. She's fire. Like this is <laughs> really one of the first episodes where they start to lean into Emily as a character that we can delight in right. as much as find frustrating. Because she is obviously, like, throughout the show, a very frustrating character. But she also kind of becomes this really beloved character because she's her own woman. And you can absolutely start to see where... Lorelai gets some of her like fierce personality and her wit and this, her wit. this was to me yeah exactly where mm -hmm. you feel like Emily has like alluded to it but mm -hmm. this is really where like Emily is as quick this as is Emily's Lorelei. tight 20 like yeah. she <laughs> does the whole like Rory correct me if I'm wrong but men have walked on the moon regardless of whether your mother remembers it or not that's the rumor. That and the, I don't think Claudia's going to die she, a second time. I don't think time. she's planning on dying a second time. <laughs> I don't think Claudia's planning to die a second time. Zinger after zinger yeah. after zinger. And then she like ties it up in the bow with like calling back to Lorelai's joke. No, dear. 
That was a joke. That whole scene is Emily is fire. Yeah. Like that yes. makes you fall in love with Emily and, and get a new respect for her as a character in a like hysterical yeah. way. And the other thing is just overarchingly, I wrote in my notes that this episode, again, watching in order, the show really hit its stride with this episode. Mm-hmm. Like this is the one that most feels like Gilmore Girls all around. Like yeah. everybody's witty and funny. We have a town thing going on. We have a Chilton thing going on. We have a Emily thing going on. Mm-hmm. We have a Rory. Like... This really felt like the first episode of the five mm-hmm. so far that was like, they hit, they hit it. They've, yeah, they found their rhythm. They yeah. found their groove. And it was such a quotable, it's such a quotable this episode. Is, this when is I was, a very quotable episode. When I was episode. watching this, I was like, holy cow, my sister and I have quoted this specific episode so many times. Oh, yeah. I have all sorts of things in quotes written down in my notes. When my sister and I used to watch this on VHS, mm-hmm. when we had taped it from TV, we always watched the intro. Well, like you, the intro song. It was never something that you could skip until literally Netflix. But said, like when skip we intro. had yes, but when we had even when we had VHS and we would watch it, we would like sing along to it. It was just a thing we were like, we have to sing along. We can't skip it. We can't fast forward. That's delightful. <laughs> and also like fast forwarding on a VHS tape was very dicey. It was it especially was like for a, something short, like yeah. a minute intro, where you're yeah. just like, you know what? It's better for it to just play because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm going to miss it and have to rewind. Yeah, everybody, it was a thing. V- mm-hmm. VHSs, which again, Emily mentions later. I don't leave messages. I wanted to talk to a machine. I talked to my VCR. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is 2000, and VCRs were still a thing. Oh, I had a VCR. Yeah, they rent VHS in in the Mm -hmm. early seasons of the show, and it's crazy to see, like, technology, that Mm -hmm. how far it's come. And 23 years is a lot, but not that much for that much change to have happened. Well, no, like, we've talked about this before, just how this is just a snapshot of life in the early 2000s, and even... Like you think we've talked about the answering machine as a character on the show and that would never work now because people would be like, why don't like they would be texting. They would be texting and you don't answer your phone and not know who it is. Like, right, right. And you I, don't leave- I don't answer my phone if I know who it is most <laughs> right. of the time. That's what I mean. It'd be so, texting and so, it would be like a very different show. Mm-hmm. After the opening credits, we see Lorelai and Rory in the kitchen and we hear Rancid, which is so funny because Rancid feels so old, but mm-hmm. at the time it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Really, it was only a few years old. Still a great song. And I always think this is interesting because Lorelai, it's an interesting kind of beat of Lorelai being crabby. And we don't get a reason why. Uh, that I wrote down. I was like, okay, so the line about the reality show, look out your freaking window once in a while. I was like, I don't understand that because you're sitting in your kitchen <laughs> watching TV, not looking out your window. Why are you crabby? What is that line about? But again, it's just it's just one of those things that it's like, yeah, we don't, in a show where we get every detail, mm-hmm. we don't get anything. And because Rory says, oh, she's cranky this morning. And Laura like confirms by saying, let's just say the world's got a formidable opponent. I thought it was interesting because it's like they don't have to explain everything. She's mm-hmm. like, she's a human who just is kind of crabby or woke up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever. But it stood out to me because we're used to having everything. Of course she would be this way because this just happened. Right, or, exactly. Yeah, or this is what she's watching. And like, So that always, every time I watch it, it strikes me as interesting of like she's just cranky and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> Which I was just going to say, relatable. Same. I love that Lane's like... Where does your mom think you are? Oh, uh, on a park bench contemplating the reunification of the two Koreas. <laughs> it's like Lane is just this delightful character who is like so fully aware of like what is expected of her 
how ridiculous it is in light of who she is as a person. Right. The contrast and between. And then can still yeah. somehow like navigate it. Right. Right. And we get a lot. We get a good amount of Lane in this episode, mm-hmm. which is fun, too. I mean, I guess we did in, in the past ones with Deer Hunters, but I like that she's there in the morning, too. It's like she escapes her house. To come <laughs> before to school. To come skank dance in Roy's room. <laughs> Even that song that she's dancing to, like that comes back later because that's, I think, one of the first songs we hear Hep Alien play later. Oh, right. They do definitely play it. If mm-hmm. it's not one of the first, they do definitely play it, which yeah. is great that it would be like mm-hmm. in Lane's vocabulary of music she likes. Of course likes. it would. Of because she's would. been skank dancing to it since <laughs> 2000. I love the line. I mean, I know we always usually have a section where we're like, what lines made you giggle? Mm-hmm. The one that I always love is... Wait, shouldn't you be baking? I don't know. Shouldn't you be knitting? <laughs> that is a classic to me. Yeah. Love that interaction. So, yeah, the bake sale is a whole vibe. Like, I just, <laughs> I love how big and ridiculous they make see, it. See, I wish we would have seen more of it, though, mm-hmm. honestly, because we see Suki's table, mm-hmm. which is crazy, and then we see the, like, flame retardant lemonade. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. But they kind of pan over the whole yeah. thing, and you, like, just get the, like, grandiose nature of... A big sale at a rich school. A big sale at Chilton. Because I, like, I have elementary schoolers. (laughs) I've been to some PTO events, like school, like where the parents do stuff. There's nothing on fire and there's no, yeah, there's no. no, uh, freshly flambéed creme brulees. (laughs) Or a watermelon made into a swan. if if there's a taco truck, like, everyone's jazzed about it. Normally it's like, there's chips and there's (laughs) pop and. Here's some cake. So, yeah, it's nothing like that. And who is this for? Like, who's this? Yeah, because it is a private school. You pay to go there. So they have money. We clearly know, and everybody who goes there has money, and I'm sure they have donors from alumni. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, why why do you have all these fundraisers? (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about Max. Okay. This is obviously a Max-heavy episode. Mm -hmm. Probably the first one, obviously, that is very Max-heavy. We had a hint of him in the last one. Um, What are your thoughts on Max right now in the show, like Mm -hmm. only on episode five? And then if you want to, like... Kind of broader, broaden that, go ahead. But I know we've talked about being trying to be linear. Okay. I can see how Lorelai would be like, this guy's really appealing. He's really sexy. He's got this like he's charm. Smart. He, it's, he's got this charm about him because he's really smart. He's got the like romantic writer mm-hmm, passion mm-hmm. that I Vibe think too, yeah, yeah that yeah. I think it makes him really appealing as a character he can keep up with her every time they talk they it's like wordplay and banter, banter. And, and he even says it you know the wordsmith thing that's something we have in common I like Max I think this episode just is a super foreshadowing around how complicated their relationship is going to be. If you have to do this much mental gymnastics just to, to go out, just to go out. Yeah. There's a good point. You probably shouldn't be dating because it's <laughs> going to be more complicated, especially with someone like Lorelai, who we love, but we also know is like, has the emotional maturity of a 16 year old. Yeah. I will say, I'm going to say something that might make me a villain <laughs> to everyone. Is that true story about his uncle? Mm-hmm. If that story is not true, mm-hmm. that is so manipulative, it like bugs me. Oh gosh, I have so many things to say about this. So okay. first of all, never thought that it couldn't be true because Max, again, from what we know of watching the whole the whole show, he doesn't seem like a liar. Well, yeah. Okay, second, because he is a literature professor, don't you feel like if it 
and I'm not arguing one way or the other, but don't you feel like if it were not true and he needed a story to like make his point, that he could have found some kind of literature story that would have given the same moral of, hey, don't don't miss your opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing which is interesting. And then third, the thing that we'll get to is that has a crazy parallel to something I want to say about Dean and Rory later okay. with manipulation. So um, Shocking. Yeah, that's a super interesting take. But thumbs up, thumbs down on Max at this point. I, I think I will always be thumbs up on Max. Same. With the question of the story. I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you what I think about Max. Okay. Um, I kind of love Max, and I'm going to be a villain by saying I kind of, especially in the beginning, like him more than Luke. I feel like maybe... Like the actors, like Lauren Graham and Scott Cohen, who plays Max, I feel like they had better chemistry. At least at first. Yes. Yeah. But when he lightly touches her arm, mm-hmm. like that's so swoony to me. I don't mm-hmm. know because he's very swoony. Because it's not creepy. He's very swoony. And I think generally he's a good guy. And I like what, what we've talked about in the past about how men in the Gilmore verse, how they flirt and stuff. It's like this he's is the first normal one. Right. He's he's completely straightforward mm-hmm. at Chilton. And then when they're at the coffee shop, he flat out says, I think we should date. But yes, he's coy and he's flirty in a really romantic, swoony way. But at the same time, he isn't playing games of like the fifth grade kindergarten. I'm going to push you because I like you kind mm-hmm. of thing. He's like very Tristan direct has, or, and assertive around without being like creepy or creepy or demanding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, a big fan of Max. Okay, so that is that's been that's Max, Max talks. <laughs> Let's bounce then to the other man in the story, oh, boy in the story. Boy. Let's talk about Dean. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Tell me what you're about okay, Dean. Here's the thing. I have to say this as an overarching. I feel like when I think ahead to us recording these and I think about talking to Dean, like in my mind, I always take like a big sigh because it's like I feel like I have to take a deep breath. And you have to like, like re-regulate yourself before you can talk about Dean. Let's talk about Dean. Okay. Yeah. I remember watching this like closer to Rory's age mm-hmm. and distinctly in this episode thinking it was kind of cute and flirty that like he came on the bus and like surprised her. And I'm like, oh, that would be really fun. Now as a grown-up adult person... I look at it and I'm like, ugh. I don't like that scene. I don't like his vibe in it. Again, it's the difference between he's interested, we know he's interested, and he's trying to show that he's interested. Mm -hmm. But there's something about that bus scene on rewatches. Well, she's panicked the whole time. Well, and he he scares her. So it's not like he sits across from her or next to her. Or like or, walk on the front of the bus so she yes, can see you that's and what I sit mean. across from her. And, and again, say, hey. maybe it's this teasing, cute, like we're 16 kind of thing, mm-hmm. but that always creeps me out now. Well, it's very much a another version of I've been watching you because yes. he knows what time she gets on the bus and which bus to, she would be on. And he knows where she sits on the bus because he knows that if he gets on the back, like that yes, that, that's where she'll be. He does he, though he, say, he, "I saw you waiting in line." Like, and there is a scene because I re—I actually went back he's and rewatched lying. it. He like, knows where she goes. He does, but I thought, okay, how creepy really is this? And so I actually rewound it. Rewound is, you know what I mean. Backed mm-hmm. it up and thought, okay, he does see her sitting at the bus stop mm-hmm. though, and so it is benefit of the doubt. He could be on the way to school and sees her and is like, "Oh, she's getting on the bus." But again, it's like the fact that he's out that early and has time to hop on the bus. It is very. I don't know. I don't I don't love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the supermarket when she goes in and buys the must-need items of the head of lettuce and the mousetrap, mm-hmm. that's cute until she's going to leave. And he steps in front of her, like in her way. Oh, I don't think I've ever noticed oh, that. Oh, my gosh. And says, paper or plastic. And she's like, I'm fine. 
it just, again, maybe I'm just completely colored well, by Dean. Well, and I think it's because we know what kind of person he's going right. to become later, right. where that, like, feels aggressive. It does. Instead of, like, cute. Because I think when you watch it clean, like, you right. watch it untainted. Right. You might be like, oh. It it does feel like, yeah, that is how 16-year-olds yes, would Andy flirt with 16, each other. Yes, Andy is 16, and we're not 16 anymore, but so we don't look at it there are, way. like, as you look at it, I think there are fibers of, oh, it it doesn't feel like as far of a jump when he becomes who he becomes. Yeah. When you start to see some of those things, like, oh, that's how his character has always been. Right. But it was like, at first it was cute, and now it's not, not at all. The opposite of cute. The other thing about Dean in this is, I know I'm just jumping around, but I'm kind of just pulling the Dean thread, is at the end-ish, when Rory is sitting out in the garden, which, by the way, I love that she's surrounded by the gnomes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's such a good touch about Babette's house. Um, but she's at the wake, and she's had some interactions with Dean, obviously, throughout the whole episode, including at Babette's house inside. Dean says, like, hey. I don't know. I thought you maybe liked me, but it's obvious that you're not interested, so I just wanted to say that, uh, that I get it, and um, I'm not going to bother you anymore. This is the parallel that I want to say. Do you think he's being manipulative, or do you think it is what it is? I think this is, is earnest. I okay. think this is actually legitimately earnest because if you see, and I want to talk about this after we after we kind of get through some of the Dean stuff, um, how she's acting yeah. around him. Like, she seems anxious, and she seems like she yeah. doesn't know what to do, and she's like, she keeps running away from him, and, like, he's probably used to girls making it very clear that right. they are interested in him. And so then when he's trying to pursue this girl that he finds interesting and probably different than most of the girls that have expressed interest in him before, and then she, like, is so weird about it and never stops being weird about it. Right. For him, he probably was just like, oh, like, she must not like me. Like, and I might legitimately be bothering her. Right. And I actually, I think I wrote down, like, what happens to the consent conscious Dean? <laughs> like, I wrote yeah. that in my notes. Oh, completely. Because, I mean, very shortly it changes. Yeah, because I was like, <laughs> he apologizes and yeah. he, like, becomes this, like, other, yeah, this is actually, this person that actually legitimately cares about how she's feeling above how he's feeling. Which is why I think retroactively, I, question oh, if it's I manipulative because we know Dean that. from the whole series and mm-hmm. so I think yeah I think I'm willing to suspend that and say okay he let's just say he is being genuine of like hey like I thought you liked me I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting that wrong which though you know what see and this <laughs> listeners buckle up if he says that I thought you liked me that goes contrary to everything you just said about the fact that every time they talk She's awkward. And so when did he ever think that she actually liked him? Well, because she did come into his space a few times. And like, right. All right. So she's come It's really hard for me to like Dean, everybody. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, me too. She has received some of his advances to the best of her ability. And you're right. She went in specifically to the market Mm -hmm. to buy nothing and grabs random things. And so he clearly... It's not like he is reading anything wrong. I'll put down the I'm hammer. Not, I'll I, put down the Dean hammer. I am not trying to advocate for <laughs> no, Dean. No, no, no. And think, it was 2000. Like, that's the other weird thing is, like, people, things were different. People mm-hmm. were flirting differently, especially kids. Well, you know, and like, also, like, what was an acceptable posture to navigate with a woman as a man? Right. Like, men still get away with a lot of stuff. Oh, but for like, sure. 
20 years ago, they right. got away with even more. And 40 years ago, they got away with more than that. So right. it's like, we're also thinking through the lens of like, we have now lived through the Me Too movement and mm-hmm. we are living on the like, in the in the the Barbie era, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. Anyway, so Dino Meter this week too. I would I would agree with that. Um, the, my only other note I have about Dean is so Dean we know is from Chicago. Yes. But for the rest of time, he will like be proud and like lean into him being like a small town stars <laughs> hollow boy. And the only time. I think that I can recall in the show when he actually seems like, oh, he might be from a city is how he handles the bus. No, like if he lived in Chicago, like I lived in Chicago for seven or eight years by myself. I didn't have a car. So like- I mean, you taught me how to use a bus, basically. (laughs) So like I, like how he navigates the bus, like he just hops on. And and knows he can get off. And knows knows when he can pull the cord, he can hop off and he's super casual about it. Like there's the city. Like, but we right. will not, that will disappear Well, and the thing that always gets me, which I know is is really minutia, is the fact that the way he says certain words, clearly Jared Padalecki is not from Chicago mm-hmm. or Illinois at all. Mm-hmm. Because you and I, having grown up pretty much in Illinois or most of Chicago land most of our lives, like, I'm just like, that's not how someone from Chicago mm-hmm. would say that. But... Well, even Whatever. the way he says, I mean, like, accent wise, do like, you want to pop? And I was like, that's not <laughs> like you. That didn't flow out. Like <laughs> no. you tried on that one. Yeah. But no, no offense, Jared Padalecki. That's not your you fault. Did your that best. You were written to be from a place that you're clearly not from. That's okay. Not like not he fault. does not have a Chicago accent. No, at that's all. what I mean. Like certain at words. All. And we'll get to it where I'm like, what? That's not OK. That's not how you say that. OK. So, again, listener, if you're still with us, we're going to we're going to. Change change gears and talk about the rest of the show, not oh, just Speaking Dean. of, <laughs> no, um, not of Dean. But speaking <laughs> of our listeners, I think we need to start to figure out what we call them. I know. I was just thinking that today, but so, I don't have any ideas. So it's like, an, it's like a dead-end so conversation gonna, for me. So one idea I have is, so the more I watch this, mm-hmm. the more, especially in the first couple seasons, notice Suki's nicknames. Yes. Suki yeah, does yeah, yeah. nicknames. So in this one, she calls... Um, Luke Stretch, <laughs> yeah, and then she she gives um, Rory tons of nicknames. Yeah, she calls like, them Popcorn and Kitty Cat and, and Egghead yes. and all sorts oh, yeah. of things. And but so, the girls, I guess, like Lane and Rory, is, are usually like Kitty Cat, Popcorn, mm-hmm. Chickadee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could lean into that. So we okay. need to just kind of be aware of Suki's nicknames. Okay. I was also thinking Pop Tarts. I was literally, literally just going to say that because like, it goes with the it goes with the Suki thing and it goes with Gilmore Girls so well. Yeah. So, so, so until further notice, we're going to call you Pop-Tarts. So but. Soft launch on Pop-Tarts, everyone. Let's feel it out. See how Tell you feel how you about feel. it. Yeah. So. We like Pop-Tarts, so it's a good thing from our side. Mm-hmm. Some, I, I can't imagine there are people who don't like Pop-Tarts as a food, but they've got to exist. Yeah, I'm sure. You're not welcome here. I'm just <laughs> I'm just kidding. She didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Everyone is welcome you're here. You're welcome with me. Except for people who like Dean. No. No, you're still welcome you're here. Still you're welcome. just going to be really mad. <laughs> you're just really going to be disappointed with this podcast. <laughs> okay. And we will convert you. We are. Yes. Just call, a, just call us Jehovah's uh, anti-Dean girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. What else you got? Okay. So, um, oh gosh, I have a couple, couple characters I want to talk about. I love, this is really short, but I love that because we don't get a lot of this later, but we get a little bit of them bantering together, but the Luke versus Suki yes. thing. 
yes, thing. yeah. Like it's really played up in this. I episode. wish we got more of that. Yeah, yeah. We get some like over the course of time. We get a handful of interactions of them, but it's really focused in this episode. Yeah, yeah, and it's really a thing. Like it happens in the diner, and when she goes behind the counter, and then it happens at the at, wake, at the and wake, yeah. all that stuff. Is that meatloaf? Yeah. You use ketchup. You make fun of my mother too. Sorry. I just think that's delightful, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's fun banter because Luke is so disgruntled, mm-hmm. and he's like, you. He's always there, and he's always supportive, but he's always like cantankerous about yeah. it. Yeah, he's crazy. And then Suki is just this like overwhelming like force of a chef, and yeah. then she's like bubbly and excited, she's and like effervescent, effervescent. Yeah. And then also Melissa McCarthy is really good at physical comedy. Oh my gosh! So she like just plays with that cantankerousness in a really great way mm-hmm. to make it. Just fun to see them interact with each other because we don't get a lot of it later. And you know Luke doesn't not like her. It's Mm -hmm. just, I think, probably because they're so different and because Suki is also a chef. Like, everybody else is like, Luke, we love your food. It's great. And Suki can be like, "Um, yeah, but what about this? Like, Mm -hmm. because she has that knowledge also. Like, it's it's an equal in the sense of what they do, but also, like, a complete opposite in personality. Yeah. Which is a good dynamic. But this is how you can, like, oh, Luke's food is, like, really good because Suki really likes it. Oh, yeah. And Suki's very... Picky. Very particular Mm -hmm. about what she Right, it's not, like, crappy diner food. No. Which, speaking of, though, in this episode when Lorelai and... Uh, Sugi so at the diner. That's like the saddest Luke's burger I've ever mm-hmm. seen. I don't think in season one we talked about in the pilot where they were like just pushing lettuce around. I don't think they've nailed the food yet because mm-hmm. usually Luke's burgers are like holy crap that looks amazing. All I think of even the in the one, even in the one where Rory went golfing, there's a scene where it comes out. Yeah, and you're it's like, just wow. this like sad Whereas little burger. This one is like a sad little burger, and it's like where did that and even come from? And she's drinking pop, which I would like. I was like, what is she drinking? Sometimes they do the pop though. Like, I feel like I, I, I've seen It's her, very we, rare. We've seen her drink beer. We've seen her drink, obviously, lots of coffee um, and water or whatever. But, like, for some reason, I was like, when else do they drink pop? Yeah, it's like, very rare. Like, out of rare. a cup. Yeah, with a straw. It's very rare. It's usually at Luke's, I feel like. But, yeah, yeah. That's, it doesn't seem like their go-to. Mm-hmm. I love seeing Babette and Maury's house. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see the inside except for maybe one or two more times, really. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cute little cozy house. And just even the character of the fact that the doors are really short. Well, like it's like an old house. That's how houses work. Yeah. But I, and I love the fact that Maury is a giant. giant of a guy. And he has to be in this house. And they address it. But Babette's really tiny. And so it's just cute. But I do want to say, again, watching this today, it's like, how many doors do these houses have? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Babette and Maury's house. There's like 16 entrances. How do you get in this house? And even Lorelai and Rory's house, mm-hmm. to some extent, has at least three doors to the outside. Yeah, there's like the back door through the kitchen. There's the front door. There's and the then there's door. a weird side door. There that is? Some, yeah, that sometimes... Things oh, are in the front living of. room. Yes, right? that sometimes things are fully in front of, but then sometimes it's it's clear, and I think we maybe see people go out of it. It's like, it's just it's a TV thing, I'm sure. But anyway, yes, I love Babette and Maury's house. It's so cute. I love that the town. Like this is really the first time I feel like where we see. Correct me if I'm wrong. The like whole the town. whole town. I mean. We've seen it bits and pieces, but mm-hmm. this is when, like, everybody kind of is in the same space, mm-hmm. and they're coming around Babette and Maury, which is really great because that's the Star's Hollow feel, mm-hmm. is, like, something happens to a person in the town, and we all have to get, and it's rally not, around them. Like, and, and you would get that if it was, like, something 
significant and have it be <laughs> like not that to all you pet parents. I was going to say, not, are you to all you that pet parents out there, I am not diminishing the pain of the loss of your pet. But like, if it was like some major, it's quirky. It's a quirky. Yeah, loss, it's a quirky. Yes. It's a quirky thing for them all to like understand, and for them. Like, I can't imagine going to my husband, who's very, like, I love him, but he's very straight-laced, yeah. being like, oh, I need to go, like, throw, <laughs> I have to go to Rachel's house, we have to throw this big awake. party for our friend, awake for our friend, and he, it's for their cat, and, like, not just, like, acknowledging it, but being like, we're having everyone we know. We're having food. We're having music. It's, like, this huge thing, mm-hmm. like, it's just, it's a silly like quirky, yeah, quirky. I think is the better thing because I don't think it's silly that she's feeling this way, but I think it's just quir- it's off center. Yeah, it's, it's off quirky. center. The the like big rallying cry of this town right now in this moment is like the loss of one, which we cat. even see contrasted when Emily calls at the end. Hold on, I'm looking up aneurysm in our medical dictionary to see if I just had one. Yeah, I mean, so I well, think- and Max thinks she's lying right? <laughs> because he doesn't understand it, which I also think is a funny scene because I feel like Lorelai could be like, come over there with me. I'll show you. Yeah. Like you want to see. But she's still maybe trying to hide Max a little bit from Rory. So yeah. there's. So I want to bring up a segment okay. that we have talked about. We know will be a part of this show mm-hmm. over the course of time. And I think this is the first incident of it. And I am not exactly sure what I'm calling it, but it's. Problems that could be solved in one sentence. <laughs> yes, yes. Because this happens over and over again. Oh my gosh, all the time. Over the course of time, because they're so cagey and weird about, they over communicate about stuff that doesn't matter, and then they're so cagey and weird about stuff that does. And this is one of those times when, like, in one sentence, because Rory has seen her mom and Mr. Medina interact. She heard that vo- that answering yes. machine message where it said, Lorelai, it was a pleasure encountering right. you again. And she's not dumb. She She's very aware she's of She's very things. aware. And she knows her mom. Right. Like, there's a swoon-worthy man who's, <laughs> yeah. like, taking interest. No offense, Lorelai, but, like, we know, yeah. your, we know your vibes. Yeah. Right? So, like, she's not dumb. She has to have picked up on something. Mm-hmm. So, Lorelai literally just saying, hey, Max and I met for coffee. We're talking about going on a date. I want to talk to you about this yeah. or like. So you're saying preemptively before Rory sees Max on the porch. Yes. Yeah. Well, Isuki is even like, you haven't told Rory yet. Like <laughs> it's know, like this, the whole drama around it is the fact that like, she's like, she feels lied to and she feels like she hit yeah. it and all this stuff. And if Lorelai literally would have been like, Hey, I don't know if this is actually going to go anywhere, but Max, right. Max asked me out one sentence would have kept this whole thing from blowing up and Rory from being upset and like feeling like the, like, what does this mean for school? And what is this all, you know what I mean? Like we could have solved this problem. But I think at the same time, we do see Lorelai trying to figure it out in a way, which, which again is weirdly out of character because of the fact that the whole show is like contradictory with, with Lorelai being like, Oh, we're BFF and you're my, you're my best friend, but also just kidding. You're my daughter. So I think there is an element of Lorelai trying to be like, what do I feel about this? Do I want to do it? And I'm trying to consider Rory pre-bringing Rory into it. But then she... Except he's coming to her house. Right. And at the very end, she says, it's who we want to date, obviously jokingly. But at the same time, it's like, is it though? Because you didn't even mention it to her. Yeah. So So don't either tell her in one sentence. Right. 
or don't have him come pick you up at your house. <laughs> right, because where would like had the wake not been happening, where would Rory have been? Like like she same. Still also, the same she would have just still... answered the door and been like, um, why, why are, are you, you at here? my house? This is weird. Yes. yes. Yeah, good call. So well, Lorelai's not the greatest at communication. Well, that's what I mean. So she's good at talking. She's not good great. at communication. Oh, exactly. And so which is why <laughs> we will have this as a recurring yes. segment, problems yes. that could have been solved in one sentence. Yes. Which also yeah, not only the problem with Rory and Lorelai, but like I said, the problem even with Max and Lorelai of being like, I mean, she does say cat funeral, but again, it's like, come over. It's literally, you could see it. Like, look at all the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what's happening next mm-hmm. door. I do love um, when we were talking about the quirkiness of the cat funeral, cat wake. And I love that Michelle gives judgment about having a cat funeral. I when, wrote that down. When future Michelle gives like a, an elaborate. Boy, is he going to have egg on his face yeah. is what I wrote down. <laughs> he has an elaborate wake slash funeral for his dog. But mm-hmm. again, that's very Michelle. A couple of song things. Um, and this is also a obscure reference of the episode is there was a lot in this. And um I like the Iran the Iran Contra scandal stuff, but yeah. you are you were a history major, so maybe mm-hmm. you could like explain that better because I tried to look into it and I was like, history just I don't I, it doesn't understand. Uh, yeah, I my brain doesn't it. understand so, it. <laughs> the Iran Contra scandal is basically like it was during the Reagan administration. There was a ban on selling arms. I think it was it well, it was to Iran. I'm not sure if there was other Middle Eastern countries involved in that. What what happened is they traded arms with Iran and used the money, which they weren't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. They trade and they like gave weapons to Iran in trade for money that then um, they used to fund um, the Contras, which were anti-Sandinistas in Nigeria. So it was this oh, big like global like a racket, kind ba- of like yeah, a basically thing. a global thing. Oliver North mm-hmm. was the the military leader that kind of made this negotiation happen. And the way they spun it was like, well, we did it to, um, we exchanged arms for seven, um, like people that were had been captured by Iran. So and so then, it was bad on top of bad. It was bad on top of bad. <laughs> and then so it came out and it was the Iran Contra scandal. And okay. then Fawn Hall was Oliver North's secretary. secretary. Right. I did and read so that. She got involved because she like helped him shred all the documents right. and stuff. Because I knew Oliver North and I had mm-hmm. her and I heard heard Fawn Hall from this this show, obviously. And yeah, I'm Fawn Hall. She was much prettier. Yeah. Yes. She was much and prettier. And I love too the the connection to the Sandinistas because that is a thing that I think Babette brings brings yeah. up episode like were, seasons later. Like kidnapped by the Sandinistas. Yeah, <laughs> yes. because the Sandinista movement is so big in, in Europe or France or whatever. France. She says. Yeah. Yeah. Which the Sandinistas were in like Nigeria. Yeah. So I just loved I was like, wow, they really do know a lot of things about a lot of things. Yes. So I brought up music anyway, because what I was going to say was that was going to be my obscure reference, but I didn't know enough about it. So thank you for your history You're knowledge, welcome. because that just was right off your head. That thank, was that was thank pretty impressive. Thank you to all of my history professors <laughs> who said I would use it one day. And now you are. I did. Look at me. Look at you. Um, but my other one was Cinnamon's Song. So when Babette and Lorelai oh, are in yeah. the kitchen and they're talking and Babette gets distracted by Maury playing Cinnamon's Song on the piano. I always just thought that that was a made-up song. Mm-hmm. And this time I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to look it up. And so it is a song from 1939 by Johnny Mercer um, called I Thought About You. It does have lyrics. Obviously, there's not lyrics in this version. I took a trip on a train and I thought about you. 
Other people have covered it, Billie Holiday, Frank Sinatra, Miles Davis. And so I thought that was really, like, I just thought that was cute. And then mm-hmm. I just the, just the detail of, like, Cinnamon would have a song, and it was an actual song. That's what and made it was me a think, song called I Thought About You. Right. And I mean, because, I, again, Maury is a musician, so I just always assumed, like, he was just doing something on the piano, and that mm-hmm. was their song. So I just thought that was a little cute thing. So that was song thing number one. And I have a question. Yeah. Have you ever been to a party where people stood around the piano? Oh, my gosh. It happens all the time on TV, though. I mean, even happens later It happens a, multiple times in this in show. In this show, yeah. Okay, so second song, which I thought was really interesting was when Rory and Dean are outside and she says yes I am interested and kind of runs away oh yeah the song that plays is truly truly mm-hmm. by um who will the the band of the guy who will eventually become the troubadour So his name is Grant Lee no Phillips and the band he was in was called Grant Lee Buffalo Mm, that's um, a strange name. Yeah, and so and so his name? name is his, his name is Grant Lee Phillips, um, but yeah, so that was that was just a cute little like that's that a, was I think that's the first time we hear something by him. It's a good song. And it, it is a good song, with and the, it fits. Yeah. So I had a coffee count. It was only two. Yes. That I counted. Lorelai at the house when she's cranky, and then with Max. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the Max at the coffee shop, mm-hmm. a few random. Maybe we maybe we just hop into. Um, Pretty hot, Pretty, grab hot bag. Grab bag. Pretty yep. hot grab bag. Pretty hot grab bag. Pretty hot grab bag. So when Lorelai and Max go to the coffee shop, I noticed the sign outside the coffee shop says no fish today. That's like the name of the coffee shop. <laughs> I didn't Google it to see if that's a thing in Hartford, but I was like, okay, or it's just clearly but it's Lorelai walking in. So it isn't just a it isn't just it's a shot. No fish today. No fish today. Okay. <laughs> like, that's... I, mean, I don't you gotta call it something. Yeah, but okay, so that's the coffee shop. But I love when they're sitting there, and there's a seat in between them. They're clearly having a conversation. Why did that man sit down? And the giant man, who first of all is like seven feet tall, but second of all, just sits down in between them mm-hmm. while they're talking. It's not like they're separate. It's not like they're not talking. So that was... That always is like... I know it's played for laughs mm-hmm. because of the whole blowing smoke on her. Well, you could try stunting her growth, keeping her in a box, blowing cigarette smoke on her. You are so taking this out of context. But I'm just like, dude, why did you mm-hmm. sit down between two people who are clearly having a conversation? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was that's part of my uh, pretty hot grab. Bag. Yeah, I so I have a couple. Um, one of mine is the conversation about Philadelphia. Oh my like, gosh, hanging yes. out with M Night Shyamalan <laughs> is like I say that more than is probably relevant Same. in my life. Every time I think of Philadelphia, like, that's what I think. What are you of. gonna do? Hang out with M. Night Shyamalan? That's the thing a teenager would think of, is like, I would go to Philadelphia, and of course I would meet M. Night Shyamalan, because it's... Because it's Philadelphia, why would he just not be hanging out on the corner? He's going to be outside, (laughs) and I'm just going to find him and hang out with him. And then, like, that's also, like, if you could go anywhere in the world, (laughs) you would go to Philadelphia to hang out with M. Night Shyamalan. Like, that's just such a thing a teenager would say. Which is not even that far from where they live, even. Because if they're in Connecticut, that's only a couple states over. It's not like it's it's like... Like, all of those cities are really close together like Philadelphia and New York are not that far apart (laughs) and we know that they're not that far from New York right I love I love that that too my sister and that's a quote my sister and I said all the time and I think it's great too it's timely and it's also prescient if I'm using that word right what does prescient mean Mm -hmm. let's find out (laughs) this is this is this is called looking up words that Rachel uses Possibly correctly or maybe incorrectly with Lindsay. Prescient, having or showing knowledge of events before they take place. Yes, so okay. I did use it correctly. Oh, you, you, you did use it correctly. Yeah, good job. That was the word. Okay, so two things, like I said, timely and prescient. So timely because 
Sixth Sense came out in 1999, mm-hmm. so that probably would have been still very much on everybody's mind because that was a huge. That movie. was a huge, and that was his first like this guy's. A yes, genius. and then Unbreakable would come out literally weeks after this aired because oh, I looked that I up this that morning. Movie. So um, pretty funny, but then also prescient because he probably did. I know he did it in Sixth Sense, but I think M Night Shyamalan's thing became obviously amazing filmmaker and twist, but he always set his movies in Philadelphia because he's from there pretty much all of his movies are Except set there the I like stopped watching M. Night Shyamalan movies <gasps> I know what you're gonna say after the village <gasps> I love the village I <sighs> screamed like you know that movie that or that scene later where we find out like Lorelai sat in the theater and screamed I want my life back for two after hours after Magnolia after I watched the village really? I literally was like I no, that's one of my faves. I no longer trust this person as a human or a filmmaker. That's one of so my I, faves. So no, you're right, but but I at the don't want to go to Philadelphia and hang out with them. No Night spoilers, but that might have had to do with Philadelphia. I mean, there may have still been a mention, like in in Village. Like, yeah, maybe. But anyway, so I just thought it was funny that it was like th- that's the thing that brings up M Night Shyamalan, and that was what he and not became known for, but that was like his little Easter egg in his movies was mm-hmm. it was let in and around Philadelphia. So that's been M Night Shyamalan talk. Um, <laughs> We will do a separate podcast about how Lindsay's wrong about the village. No. <laughs> no, we won't. We can do that podcast. But it'll I will be never, really short. I will never. Be, oh. It'll be the whole time you saying, well, what about this? And I'll say, nope. 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 I want my life back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in, and I think why it makes me so mad is because I loved it so much until the end. It's kind of like that Blake Crouch book where it's like the it's first, like dark matter. <laughs> the first 350 pages, you're like, oh, this book is so good. And then the last hundred, I'm like, this person is now a bad person in my eyes because yeah. he created this work. No offense if you're- I was going to say, sorry, not sorry, sorry Blake, Blake Crouch. Sorry, Blake Crouch. I'm sure you're a wonderful person, <laughs> but you, en- you need to end your book sooner. Um, that movie- I like remember being like, oh, this is so interesting and it's really like it's different. And the way they like tease out the story is very like what's happening. And and especially at that time. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. And then we got to the end and I was like, "Uh, I hate it all. I hate it here. I have to go. We need to talk off mic about this because I'm fascinated as to why you hated it. Mm -hmm. I hated it so much. It's so manipulative. And it's because it's like I came from a high control home environment. Oh, so okay. Then, like, I get that knowing aspect of it. The, yeah. like, the whole trope. Sorry, spoiler alert, but you're 25 For years too 20, late. <laughs> um, it, it just you missed it. Um, <laughs> I like having the whole twist of the plot line yeah. being that like the parents became these like zealot almost. Well, um, we want to hide our kids away from the real world. The hide away from our real yeah. the real world conspiracy theorist zealots, and then yeah. they like created this community that was like supposed to be idyllic and, and then utopia. they made but then they made it bad and they right. used like fear to manipulate their kids and i was okay. like nope we're done okay like, I, I get that i get that i fully it I was fully so that, triggering actually. that i was like this is bad and i don't like this yeah um also again pop tarts here we are and you know what i'm probably not going to edit any of that out because um <laughs> we are we are running long but here's the thing this is the this is the podcast the podcast is going to be Lindsay and i talking about um the characters in way too much depth and then talking about things that are slightly connected to Gilmore Girls in too much depth. And, so uh, if you're here in this episode and you're still listening, mm-hmm. this is probably the most Gilmore episode that there has been yet. Mm-hmm. This, we hit our stride. <laughs> we hit our just stride. Just like Cinnamon's just Wake. Just like Cinnamon's Wake. So um, yeah, just thank you for listening. Um, this has been tra- Lindsay's Trauma Talk. Keep listening. Stay tuned. It will be back. <laughs> that will listening. be a segment that comes back. Oh, we love you all. Um, okay, so uh, Pretty Hot Grab Bag. Emily calls at the end and 
doesn't ever say what she called for. Like, mm-hmm. she literally is like, I've called multiple times, and she said there's no messages, and blah, blah, blah. And then that conversation ends without ever like figuring why? out why Emily called, which mm-hmm. is just an incon- you know, just continuity thing. But I also love that phone call. It's late. I have a big day tomorrow, Mom. Oh, what? You're going to a raccoon's wedding? Another pretty hot grab bag is the inappropriate Miss Patty. Try a plum. They're better than sex. Um, no thanks. And this happens over and over again of just like, we just kind of accept that she's like this inappropriately over-sexual woman, but it doesn't bother you. Like, she's just this like, she's just the the sensual Miss Patty. And like, she you know, flirts with Kirk even when she's telling him off, which is forgivable continuity because they're oh still gosh, building Kirk's yes. character. And but apparently Kirk first... doesn't know him. It's the first time he's back as Kirk. Yes, I was going to say, first time we see him as Kirk. But he, like, apparently is new and no one knows him, which, yeah. uh, like, that changes And she ton. flirts with him, which is super weird, like, knowing that she's known him since he's a kid, apparently. Could be my, <laughs> could be my next husband. Yeah. And then, like, that conversation that she has with Rory where she just says, like, Fresh fruit always has such a... A sensuality about it. <laughs> Are you too young for this? Definitely. And then, but then I do love that the like end of that conversation is. I promise that I won't tell a single soul that you don't know that young man. Thank you. You're welcome. Like, I just think it's so funny. And I think something we missed where I'm going to hop outside of Pretty Hot Grab Bag really quick. Okay. Because um, I said I want to talk about this and I think it's very like telling of something we'll continue to see is like the, the, vast difference in personality and also life stage of Lorelai and Rory because we both we see them both flirting with boys that they're interested in mm-hmm. and we see Lorelai who we have we know has always been fiery and confident and independent that then and then we see Rory who like I wasn't expecting you or me you I mean you me I mean come on in you Lorelai is fully herself in, in and a Rory moment, becomes a different Rory person. loses all control of motor functions, and and she becomes this like the most awkward version of a teenage I girl. I love it. I do too. Yes. But it also just shows the like Lorelai being Lorelai, mm-hmm. and then Rory is like she forgets like how her body works almost. Like right. where she's like, it's so which is funny. such a good contrast in this episode that they did parallel mm-hmm. there, and that's what I mean. They're both kind of dealing with a similar situation, but in a totally different way based on their personalities, yeah. which is so good. And in that same world is I love when when he says, "Hey, uh, do you have a second? No, I have gum." <laughs> That too. <laughs> That's excellent. I feel like we've talked about that with you, where oh my gosh, I am you were like I am Rory, and but the thing is, is like I've seen you interact with people for however for as long as we've been friends. Obviously, I've seen you interact with people, right. but like you have a partner, and like you're normal around him. And well, yeah, but Rory ends up being normal around Dean in the beginning. It's like the, the stakes are higher. Yeah. Because. Well, and she's seen her mom do it so smoothly. And I think she knows that she's not going to be smooth (laughs) like that because she's a very different person from her mom. But she knows it's possible. And we got to give credit to Alexis Bledel, too, because I think this was her first acting job. She was a model, but she had never acted. And some of that is just the young being young and having never acted. But some of it is so just giving that feeling of young and awkward and well, unsure. And it's just Especially it's just because excellent. she's really good at playing confident Rory too, who mm-hmm, like when she's mm-hmm. in school, when she's in her element, when she's around Lane, when she's with her mom, like she's just 
you have a very clear picture of who she is. And mm-hmm. so she, and, and it's, you can tell it's not like put on. Which again is why it's so good on the writer's part and the creator's part of the fact that whether it was intentional or not, but we're going to pretend that it is, is that we have seen her with Tristan, like we've talked about, who she isn't interested in. Yeah. So we know it's not Rory and boys. We know it's Rory and a boy who's interested in her and who she's interested in. And we know it's not Rory and new people either. Because like she She immediately has like banter and beef and all these things with with Paris. Paris. Mm -hmm. And so, and she's witty with them and herself with them. And it's just, it's literally like, she the stakes are higher, like you said, mm-hmm. because she likes this boy and she doesn't know what to do, and so then she just like does the worst version of. So what and she also Pop Tarts, in case you couldn't tell, we love this show, like, and we we love talking about this show, and hopefully you enjoy listening because the depth at which we talk about it and think about it is probably more than normal. We see things that maybe are not even intentional. <laughs> yeah. We, we but have we'll give credit. Ex- we have we'll extrapolated. Uh, oh we have gosh. sucked all of the juice out of these <laughs> olive pits and really just lean into that. Yes. Um, so just for the sake of time, um, my... <laughs> I think we're past the I know. Sake of I'm time. trying to wrap us up, but I do want to no, ask, okay. ask you... Um, you said one line earlier, but was the, is there a line that make, makes you giggle when you watch this? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say one that I haven't said yet is I love at the end when Michelle is pretending mm-hmm. to not be French and Lorelai says, He knows you are not from Texas. It's mine when you say that. <laughs> I just like how she says that. She plays off of his bad yes. accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's a yeah that's a giggle every time. So mine is a Michelle as well. Okay, but it's actually a Michelle line. Okay, and it's so we see this same guy over and over again, and he never comes back really. But when he walks into oh my gosh, the, I know yes. the wake. Hello, where is Lorelai? I'm dropping something off. Yoo-hoo, hee-ha, man. Is like <laughs> with his accent. Yes, yes. it's so. Yes. I had that written down too. Michelle, it's so like of course that's how they would he would describe that particular man <laughs> and the fact that he like didn't have any qualms no. about saying yeah you who he haw man <laughs> to a stranger and like assuming that it would be fine like yeah, it's just that's a great it, one I, every single time i watch this episode like you who he haw man just makes me and he haw man is such a like he's such a colorful <laughs> character that gets like one line and we see him at the... He at, knows. He knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. And we see him at the diner, and then we see him at the wake, and we, like, never see him again. I would have liked to see more from yeah, Hee-Haw Man. Hee-Haw Man goes away, <laughs> but, like, you who Hee-Haw Man lives forever in our hearts. And I also love, in that same scene, when Michelle is bringing Lorelai, like, what looks like blueprints. Like, why... What What are you delivering to Lorelai in that moment that literally looks like rolled-up blueprints? Yeah, what do you need? Um, I think that is about all I have. I mean, considering we've been recording for... An extremely long amount of time. Yeah, I feel how, like where are we at? We're we're hour twenty. We're we longer than the episode itself is. Almost <laughs> twice as long. So you're welcome, everyone. Yeah. Uh, good luck to Rachel, our editor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with that, maybe we we take the advice <laughs> of Mrs. Kim that boys don't like funny girls. Catch us next week when we talk about episode six of season one, Rory's birthday parties. Mm-hmm.